Our scripture reading this morning is in the very small book of Titus, deep in the New Testament, and we're going to be reading just the first four verses of Titus this morning. Let's all have our ears open and our hearts and minds open and receptive to God's holy and infallible word. Let's listen. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So this past fall, uh, a few months ago, we went together uh, for a while to the book of 2 Timothy to learn about Uh, the church and God's will for the church under the theme, building the household of faith. The church is called a household or a family in the Bible. And uh, I think that picture of the church is especially appropriate uh, for us at Faith Church. It fits us so well. People who have joined us have feel we are a family. In good times, We celebrate together in hard times. Uh, We care for one another. We pray. We support. We serve together. We grow together. We're truly brothers and sisters, and, and we seek to act and live that way. Like the books 1 and 2 Timothy... Titus was written to a pastor. It was written as encouragement and instruction to him and to the new Christians that he was pastoring on Crete, which you may know is an island in the Mediterranean Sea, I think the fourth or fifth largest island in the Mediterranean. This was a letter of Paul, and we're reminded in verse 1, he reminds us that he's an apostle of God. And an apostle, that's someone who is set aside as a special leader in the early church. All the letters he wrote in the New Testament, and there are 13 of them, have an opening greeting, sort of an introduction. Titus is a very short book, but the introduction is longer uh, than most of Paul's books, and and you could see just by reading it, it's packed with all kinds of grand language and deep thoughts. What do we do do with this? What what is it saying to you and me today? Well, I think of us uh, living today during these first couple of weeks of a new administration, uh, uh, the, the Trump administration. And it seems to me that things feel a little crazy. For those of you who have chosen not to shut down your Facebook account and who are watching it, you see political post after political post every day, and virtually every headline in the news is about what President Trump is doing. 
and how people are responding. Cabinet nominees and hearings, the pick for the Supreme Court vacancy, and everyone's two cents about all of this, the the travel ban. and, And of course, God's people, we want to be engaged in all of this. But as I read these verses and, and see the depth of what we're told, and I think about the times we're living in, I, I think there's a real danger to spend too much time and energy on all of this. Scanning Facebook, watching the news, reading the news, going online, Some Christians, actually many Christians I know, seem very concerned about this new administration. Very uptight, constantly critical of anything that President Trump is doing. Other Christians that I know, and I know many of these too, are very excited and and hopeful about President Trump and what he's doing and what he might be able to do for our country and believers. And and, and everybody is looking for articles and opinions that confirm their point of view already, it seems. God's Word reminds you and me today that there are bigger and better things to spend your time and energy on. Paul doesn't spend much time on politics in his letters We don't read in the Gospels that Jesus spent much time on politics during his three-year ministry on earth. What the New Testament tells Christians is pretty simple as it relates to our country. Pay your taxes, respect and pray for your leaders, be good citizens. There's nothing about getting as caught up in all of this and even obsessed like I think we can do. The fact is we have a greater calling, we have a greater work to focus on. And so I believe Paul, in a very real sense, elevates our minds and our hearts to what is greater as he starts out this book to the church. We're going to get to this in an upcoming sermon, but thinking about all of this, I just want to peek ahead to chapter 3, and the first few verses speak to all this. What does Paul say there? Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. We lived in malice and envy, being hated, hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Does this sound like Christians today? Called to be subject to rulers and authorities, respectful, whether it was the totally godless and pagan leaders in the Roman Empire when Paul wrote, or whether it's President Clinton, or President Bush, or President Obama, or President Trump. 
We must slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, show true humility toward all men, not just humility toward fellow Christians, true humility toward all men. Where's the humility today? We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved, living in malice, hating one another, but no longer. Because the kindness and love of God appeared. It all changed. We've been saved. We've been freed from all that. We have a a greater purpose. Are we living that out? Well, of course we're not always living it out. We're we're sinners. We fail. We're weak. We get sidetracked. And we need God's grace and help again. Well, his word comes to us this morning to elevate us to what is best and to what is greater today. Whether you're maybe one of those people in danger of getting obsessed with the news and politics, or whether you're getting sidetracked from your greater purpose in other ways today. I'm getting these radiation treatments um, at uh, the proton, a proton center in Warrenville, not far away, and there's a, a waiting room with magazines, um, usually my wait is so brief, they're very efficient there, I hardly have time to open one up, but I did uh, open one up a few days ago, I think it was called Western Living, it's about the western suburbs, and uh, some really interesting little article on the best coffee shops in every town around here, but that's not why I'm bringing this up. For some reason in there, there was this quote from Michelangelo. You know, Michelangelo, the great artist, and he, of course, was a Christian. And he said this, and it it struck me as I was meditating on and studying these verses and the depth of what Paul says. Uh, Michelangelo says, The greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it, but that our aim is too low and we reach it. Well, God's Word, you'd have to agree with me, gives us what we are to aim for, right? And it's much higher than what our focus naturally tends to be. In a number of ways, I think these verses show us the greater life that God created us all for. And and for all of us who we must confess, we often aim too low. We see how our life can be great again. First, join the greatest movement ever. That's how your life can be great. The greatest movement ever. The greatest group. The greatest people ever. And it's the church. In in this series, uh, we're, we're using that name, that picture of the church, of household, or family that the Bible uses. Uh, But the Bible uses all sorts of other descriptions for the church to get at all the dimensions of of what the church is. And verse 1 gives us another common picture of the church in the Bible. God's elect. God's elect. That's a description of the church. God's chosen ones. The ones called out from among all people for salvation for a special purpose, this movement, this group, 
precedes, it precedes every other movement in the world. It was thought of and it was planned before the beginning of time. And it's going to last into eternity. We're reminded of the expansiveness and the uniqueness of the church this morning. It's, it's greater than any march or political party or even greater than any nation. Oh, there are good groups and movements to be part of. Uh, we talk about school pride. And, and when I go to my kids' basketball games at Timothy, believe me, I've got some school pride going on, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I'm right there with uh, Lee Greenwood, I think his name is. Well, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Sophia can sing that song really well, by the way. So we, sing, we, we don't hesitate to sing that in our house. But I'm talking about the greatest group, the greatest movement, the greatest people. I'm talking about the best. And that's what God has for us. Why settle for anything less than the best? Why aim lower? Without question, the greatest group to belong to is the family of God. The greatest and best way to identify yourself is as a child of God. If you want to settle for less, you can. But if you want the best, if you want the greatest life, be a living part of God's people, the church, the group which started in, in the garden, at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, the first children of God, and which continued from there with Abraham and his descendants, called out from among the nations long ago. And then in Jesus, the church is made up of all tribes and tongues, rich and poor, different languages, all skin colors, all who call on the name of the Lord. The unifying factor of the church is shown to us in these verses 2 and verse 4. Paul says, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. He says true son, even though Paul was a Jew and Titus was a Gentile. Gentiles refer to all non-Jewish people. That was one of the greatest divisions among God's people in that day. And division among groups of people is the name of the game in our world today, sadly. But the Lord says that in the church, divided groups are brought together in this common faith. There's no other group like the church. We look at the church, it's filled with imperfect people, and we can tend to focus on the warts, but there is no other group like the church. It's the most ancient. It will last the longest. It's the most diverse, the most unified, and it is no doubt the largest movement, the greatest, largest group of people in the history of the world. Second, you can make your life great again by embracing the greatest Hope. Embrace the greatest hope. Verse 2. What is that hope? It's the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. You maybe 
heard this said before, and, and it, it's, it's good to be reminded of this, we don't want to be as Christians so heavenly-minded that we're no good here on earth. We don't want to be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. But I don't think too many Christians, I don't think the church today is in danger of that. We're in danger of being too focused on this earth. We're in danger of forgetting where our real hope lies. We take our sights off of eternal life, off of heaven. John Calvin writes on this verse, Until we look to heaven, we don't have a shred of faith or Christianity in us. And he says, too many believers are so busy with this present life, so attached to it, that they don't have any yearning for the life above. That was his observation when he preached on these verses and started his 17-sermon series on Titus back in August of 1555. Don't worry, we're not going to have 17 sermons on Titus. I know you were thinking that. I'm not going to copy Calvin in that. If people needed to have their minds and hearts elevated to this greatest hope in 1555, as well as in A.D. 60, when Paul wrote Titus, we need it now, today, too. Calvin preached that looking to heaven is a true mark of a child of God. We tend to let temporary and lesser things pull us in and drag us down. And you know what? You've got to fight against it. You have to fight against being dragged down. You have to embrace the greater hope. Part of the challenge, of course, is that it's very hard for us to look beyond what's in front of our face. And heaven, eternal life, is something we've never experienced. So how do you do that? How do you long for something that goes beyond your everyday experience, something you can't even imagine. I mean, I can visit Florida and today long for a visit to Florida because I've been there, I can picture it, but how do you do, you know, the Bible says long for heaven and we haven't experienced it, we can't even imagine it. And, and so you can see why naturally this is tough for us to embrace eternal life and not get dragged out. You do, we do this by faith. We're called to live by faith. We do it by working hard not to let the things of this world seduce us and drag us down. We do it by not putting our hope in the things of this world. And we make choices and decisions in our life to help in that. And I, I want to give you just a, a very small, a little example in my life. I I'm getting these radiation treatments. Well, I have an option to listen uh, to music while I do that, kind of distract me from the other noises going on. And so what I do is I, I put a little playlist together on my phone and they plug it in. The first week or so, I had more secular music you know what I mean by that, right? Um, Non-worship music, non-Christian music, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I did that because listening to more Christian music or worship music can make me a bit emotional. And I've got this very tight mask on I have to wear. 
Um, I can't move at all. I can barely breathe. I can just breathe through my nose a bit. Talk uh, to Ron Tazlar, and uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about the mask, because he's he knows what I'm talking about. Maybe some of the others of you do too. Harma Slankman was just talking to me about her sister this morning in California. So the deal is, if I'm weeping, it's going to plug up my nose. It's just going to be a mess. It's going to be very bad. But then, so once I got settled into the routine, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try uh, to do these worship songs that I appreciate. It'll help me pray. And, and you know what? It worked. I, I, um, those words, the, the truth from God's word being sung in those songs, it elevates my mind above my circumstances, you know, above that mask that's literally right in front of my face, above the medical facility, beyond the thought of proton radiation entering my brain. And with those words, the truth of God's word being sung, I can pray, I can praise. So there are ways, again, little, tiny example, but just to give you an idea of what I'm saying, we can make choices in our day-to-day life that will cultivate more and more, raise us up to that hope of eternal life, things that lift us up from our circumstances on this earth. It's hard for us to do that, and so... Paul adds in these verses that God himself has promised us this eternal life. And God can't lie. God keeps his promises. Even if we've never been to eternal life, we haven't been to heaven, well, God keeps his promises. With politicians, we just don't know. The hope of eternal life is real for us, for our loved ones, for all who put their trust in Jesus. We can choose to keep our hope here Or we can, by faith, through God's grace, lay hold of a greater hope, our inheritance in heaven, that will put all these other trifles that we mess around with and focus on, we'll put all that to shame. Third, we're invited and called to know the greatest truth ever. Paul talks about the knowledge of the truth. And I think... In a day when we talk about alternative facts, we wonder, is there truth out there? What news services are reputable? Does the government give us the straight-up truth anymore? We just don't really know. A CRC pastor I know and am friends with, uh, lives in another state, though, he went to the national prayer breakfast this week. He's a congressman who's a member of his church, and he attended with him. He had some very interesting observations, and one of them was this. He said that this was the second time he's been to Washington, D.C., and he's met people who love God, who truly want to do what is best for our country and the world people who truly care for humanity, and what he has seen in a couple of visits there, interacting with people in government, it leaves him with great hope for our country and a deep realization that our country and the countries of this world are truly in God's good care. Very, very positive, very good to hear from someone on the outside who's been there. 
The other observation relates to this knowing the truth thing. And he says this, I have generally just mistrusted the media, but after being here in Washington, D.C., and hearing and seeing what I have, I truly do not trust the media. He says, so this is a little less positive observation. He says they practice yellow journalism, which maybe you've heard that before. I actually looked it up to make sure that wasn't some sort of a, I don't, I, I think it's just a, a term. I think it started maybe in the late 1800s. Um, they practice yellow journalism, uh, desire to make money for their news outlet and get a bunch of hits and retweets on articles from people. They don't desire to tell the truth. They desire to create hysteria because it's good for their pocketbook. And he goes on, I encourage encourage us all to be wise followers of Christ and seek to discover the truth of what is going on and why it's going on instead of the deplorable drivel we are fed by the news. So that would lead us to do what many of us already are, work hard on finding reputable news sources, media that gives us the truth, and they all kind of claim to, but do any of them? I don't have the answer to that, but it's, it's enough to make us, and I think many people are becoming pretty cynical and wondering even, is truth attainable in this world? But the reality is, we can have confidence that there is truth out there. What we believe, what we're about, what we affirm when we worship, when we sing, when we go to God's Word, we're about the knowledge of the truth as believers. Scripture is truth. And the church, the household of faith, has been entrusted with it. God's Word is truth. There is truth out there. We've got it. We can know it. Paul has this interesting comment that God does not lie. All Scripture is God-breathed, we read in 2 Timothy. It's from God. This is from God. And we just read, God cannot lie. And so it follows, kind of basic rules of deduction, that this is true. There is somewhere 100% reliable that you can go in this crazy world. You can have truth. You can find it. You can grow in it. And, and that's what we're called to do as a church. And as Paul says, uh, a, an important piece of that is the proclamation of God's Word. And in, in preaching, we, we hear the truth. We read it. We receive it. We have it applied to our hearts and lives uh, and, and we don't just do that alone. It's through uh, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, of God Himself, who does not lie. So it's His Word, which is true, through a divine person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, bringing it to our hearts and lives. We read here, this is a truth that leads to godliness. In other words, it makes a difference in our lives. We live the truth today in our lives, in our culture, in this time and place. If you truly know the truth, God's Word will impact your heart, your mind, your words, your actions, and 
something to think about. Like that word godliness sounds uh, stuffy to us. It sounds kind of old-fashioned. And, and because of that, I wonder, do, do, you, do we value this? Do we want godliness? Do we seek godliness? It's a critical part to living a great life again. We excuse ourselves and those around us sometimes way too easily. We, we say, well, well sure, I, I, I get fired up a little too quickly when something grows. Sure, I can be pretty impatient. Sure, I'm a little bit of a critical person. Sure, my words are sometimes harsh. Sure, I indulge this or that habit a little too much. Come on. Why are our sights set so low? You want to sort of just live like the rest of the world? down in the mud. God is something greater for us. God knows what's best. He has the truth. We can know it, and we can live it. We can be different, and we're called to be. Finally this morning, a last, a fourth, final thought. You can make your life great again when you make the greatest decision. Make the greatest decision. And the greatest decision of all is to give your life to Jesus got this public profession of faith class going on. Um, Maybe you're thinking about that. Maybe you're thinking about joining the church or even this church for the first time in your life. Well, when you become a member of the family of God, you are aligning yourself with Jesus. And the greatest decision of all is to say yes to his invitation to follow him. He says, come follow me. And if you've made that greatest decision, what continuing decisions do you need to make to follow him more closely today in your life? Since the church is the greatest movement ever, how can you better be engaged in the church, in your prayer life for the church and and its leaders and and its ministries, and, and your giving and your serving? Would an outside observer see that commitment? If someone's a gung-ho Democrat, it's pretty obvious in their conversations. It can be pretty obvious on Facebook and in other ways. Would it be obvious uh, to others that we are enthusiastic members of the family of God? We spend our energy in life on so many things Some of the things we spend our energy on are outright bad. Many of them are hopefully good. But how about spending your energy on what is best? Where can you take energy spent on less profitable things and give that energy to the household of faith and even give it to this church here at faith? And since the greatest hope ever is eternal life, are you looking there? Are there things that you're holding on to that are pulling you down? Is your greatest hope in an elected official, in the economy, in your own bank account, your health, your athletic, academic achievements? Boy, if that's the case, you're in for a lot of disappointment in life. 
a lot of it. Aim higher. We have the hope of eternal life. And since the greatest truth is God's truth, do you know it? Are we living it? Paul talks about God's appointed season bringing his word to light. That appointed season began in Paul's day. It continues today until Jesus returns. That's our mission at faith. Bringing the truth, God's word to light. And we can be part of it in all different ways. And it takes all of us. And so, I'm inviting us to do some self-reflection this morning. And in doing that, I'm inviting you into the great life that God has for us. Even as we invite people to the greatest life of all, we don't do that in a prideful way. Everything we're talking about, it's all by grace. It originates in God. We make choices we live, we spread the good news, we're invited to respond to God's grace with a yes, but it's all on the foundation of God's prior and sovereign grace. We do it in the strength of Jesus who gave up his life so that we could have the greatest life ever. The great life is not about us, it's about him. It's not our message, it's his word. It's not our agenda. It's in his service and following his mission. May God give us the grace to live the greatest life, to aim high in a culture that's pulling us low. It's people with lives like this who have this greatest focus of all, I'm convinced, who will be able to make a difference. Active in the household of faith with the firm hope of eternal life, knowing and living the truth. The more people doing that, the better our nation will be and our government and our schools and our workplaces and our homes. Then there will be wisdom to address and speak to society's challenges. We start here, building great lives together in service to him. Let's keep doing that right here at Faith CRC. What a joy to belong to this household of faith, to be built up together, to go out and serve. And if you're not a, a part of this because you're, you're, you're not a member here or you're not really involved, join us. Enter into this life fully. Truly make your life great again. With God's help, we can and we do and we are.